From Glitch HQ on Riverside Avenue in prototypical interactive Minneapolis, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Martha McGarry, and I make nice games. I'm Stephen McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Martha Croy, I too make nice games. For this roundtable episode, our topics are making prototypes, point-and-click adventure games, and user interfaces. And so, if everyone is ready, let's start. Back in Minneapolis. Yay! Welcome back. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> We're recording this. This is our first recording after Martha and I get back from GDC. Uh, we did release an episode uh, this week as we record this in between, so a little behind the scenes mm-hmm. episode scheduling nonsense. But for us here in the clubhouse, uh, this is a welcome back. And it's nice. It's nice to be back in the clubhouse. Yeah, I kept it nice and it, warm. You did a you. nice hey, uh, job <laughs> holding it down, I have to say. <laughs> um, we got great topics uh, for this episode. We have a little bit of housekeeping, some meta news to talk about. Uh, who wants to get started? Yeah, uh, so there's the GlitchCon Brewery Door coming up. Yeah. Uh, I guess there was one uh, last week, uh, the week, uh, week before we recorded this, uh, but it's basically just you go in and play trivia games. The trivia is really great because yeah. Katie is the one who runs it, and she is like the bomb at yeah. trivia. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. let's give it some context. So the GlitchCon Brewery Tour is in support of Glitch Connect, yes. which is this May. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure We have the to date. check these things before we say them. <laughs> <laughs> New policy starting now, but only starting now. Um, <laughs> but the brewery tour is uh, uh, where uh, Glitch takes a bunch of games on the road to breweries in Minneapolis and shows them off and does video game trivia as yes, well. Yes. And um, yeah, it started a bit ago as we recorded this, but it's going to run through up until end of April. Yeah, I believe so. Yep. Right? So uh, check glitch.mn. For details on that, we'll put some of the dates and deets in the show notes. Yeah, uh, and there's also um, a bunch of indie developers around the area that will be at the right. brewery tours. Right, you're, so. you're at the one coming up, yes. and I'll get dragged to one, I'm certain. <laughs> <laughs> we'll bring you there. I'm so tired, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And of course, GlitchCon itself is coming up. Yes. It's going to be bigger and better this year. Mm-hmm. I'm very excited about it. Yeah. So awesome. A lot of, a lot of new things coming yeah. this year. Yeah, yeah been going on for four years now i've been to all of them and have you? Uh, yeah i have uh the first one was at the tcf bank stadium which was interesting because it was much less uh convention-y uh-huh. it was more like uh here's a bunch of esports and uh there were some talks too which was pretty cool but yeah the after that they've just been improving it ever since and it's just been getting better and better and bigger and bigger and now it's at this even larger area so yeah was, soap factory then? yeah the soap factory that's right uh, and so it's going to be really cool. There's like six different tracks. Yeah, there's, um, well, you know, why don't you guys, uh, let me pull it up here and we can sort of give the pitch. Yeah. Uh, glitchcon.mn is the site uh, where you can get tickets and find out all the details about it. Um, the slogan, bringing together makers, doers, and thinkers in digital games. But uh, it's a bunch of different tracks. So uh, like you were saying, uh, there's a bunch of different tracks. So alternate realities um, about, um, about VR, mixed reality, stuff like that. Art, audio, business, uh, game design, uh, impact about how you know, games place in the world. Um, programming, of course. And then there's also another track called Play, which is really about the player and about like speed runs and, you know, um, user playtesting and tournaments and kind of like a little bit of a broader topic that should have a lot of like fun Super fun topic. Yeah. So I'm I'm super looking forward to this sort of like bigger, more structured, more diverse like you know content that's planned this year. A lot of cool things. Yeah. So uh, glitchcon.mn. Buy your tickets. See us. We'll be there, and uh, <laughs> we'll have a great time. Yeah. 
Yay. <laughs> uh, there's also uh, the feedback form. We're still looking for feedback, guys. Feedback? Yes. <laughs> hopefully, um, uh, we've alluded to it in earlier episodes, but uh, hopefully we can get feedback from our fans. Uh, we're looking for any general input, like what topics you guys enjoyed most, uh, how long the episodes you prefer, if you prefer our roundtables, our interview episodes, things like that. So you can also just hit us up on social media too. But I guess the feedback form is more formal. Yeah, yeah, and more anonymous. And we'll be bugging you through all the channels available to us to fill out this form because it's really valuable for us to know really what should we be doing with this program. Right. Like we feel pretty good about our direction, but like you know we uh, we don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, as proper uh, game developers who iterate early and often and play test our pro- our work, uh, we need to know from you. Uh, we just um, as of this recording, we just published the. Uh, the form and the episode that first mentioned it was just released to, from our timeline here. Got a couple of responses so far, but yeah. we're, so we're anxiously awaiting new ones. So uh, yeah, tell your friends. Mm-hmm. And the URL for that is nicegames.club slash feedback. Made it very simple. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess that's all of the meta, right? Yeah. Let's get into our topics, like get deep into these topics. The yes. really good ones. Yes. So I want to talk about prototypes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love prototypes. Yeah. They're really fun. Okay, good topic, Steven. <laughs> Martha? <laughs> um, yeah, uh, so I'm, I'm curious. We talked about developer art in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark, you brought that up. And uh, we talked about like how stingy you should be on what kind of art you put in there and like whether or not you should base this on your final stuff and things like that. But I want to talk about the, the, the meat and bones. I want to talk about the mechanics yeah. of prototyping because like prototyping is practically my life because I, I love mechanics and that's <laughs> basically what I care about. But you also need to be cautious about what you're putting into your prototype. You need to make sure that it, it visually is um, apparent what you're trying to do. So uh, I, I'm curious, how do you guys feel? When, when, when is it a good time to make a prototype and when is it a good time to show it to people? I know the correct answer to this. <laughs> I'm not saying this is what I do. Okay. But the best time to prototype is immediately. Yes. Right. As soon as you have the idea, yeah, get it on paper, show it to somebody. Mm-hmm. I don't do that, <laughs> but I. But that is the right. That's the right advice. It's uh, you know, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's what I prefer to do too. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it doesn't even have to be like a new game idea. I know Stephen, you've done this where you've prototyped specific elements of your game on paper. Yeah. Um, while your game is well into development, mm-hmm. um, and that's that's the thing about prototypes that is really useful is like atomizing your feedback, like getting something specific, some specific knowledge rather than, and we talked about this, you know, in previous episodes about like not waiting to show people things. Mm-hmm. And when you have something pr- that you can prototype, even if it's just a little element that can give you a lot of knowledge and a lot of confidence and motivation to yeah. move forward. So it's not just about making the work better. Yeah. It's about making you a better worker. Right, right, right. So yeah, I guess uh, as soon as you have the idea and you're like, I want to pursue this, it's a good idea to, at least in my opinion, to yeah. start making a prototype. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Martha? Yeah, I agree with all of what has been said. Oh, that's um, why I was hoping for like a big argument. <laughs> <laughs> I was in that workshop at GDC last year with you, Stephen, yeah. where um, we did po- paper prototypes. Um, and I didn't like that very much. Oh, really? No, huh? But I could see how it's useful. Yeah. What is it you didn't like about it? I felt like it's sort of like the. Um, so maybe we should explain paper prototypes. Yeah, a little bit. Um, paper prototypes, it's, it's basically you just take 
a core mechanic of your game and you make it a paper version of it. Um, so, like for example, uh, well, you made a you made a Sonic the Hedgehog paper prototype. Yes. So this TDC <laughs> workshop uh, was split across two days. And uh, I did it last year too, but I wasn't with your, your guys' group. Mm-hmm. And um, the one of the days was where you did a bunch of little exercises in, in taking like rules and mixing and matching them. Yep. And that was sort of interesting. But the really good stuff was the other day, which was where you took a game that you knew, that you f- were familiar with, and then you turned it into a paper prototype, mm-hmm. um, trying to replicate the feel that the game right, gave you, right. but not necessarily the mechanics. Yeah, yeah. And so it had it had kind of a sideways approach to prototyping in that it was about um, not prototyping for the goal of refining a, a mechanic, but saying, this is what I want my game to do, what I want it to convey to the player, mm-hmm. what mechanics will get me that to that goal, rather than, I like this mechanic, let me make it better, which yeah. can feel very natural as a motivation, but... I, that's the thing I learned most from that. And yeah, I did a Sonic the Hedgehog card game. I still, ran, it's now a year old. It's a, but probably, I bet today is the year anniversary of, <laughs> of, my, of my, you know, uh, creation of that. It's still mm-hmm. one of my proudest game dev achievements because it's, I mean, you played it, Steven. I it's did. not super fun. It's, it's quite interesting. It's got something that could use yeah. some work, but like it taught, that exercise taught me so much. Mm-hmm. It was, it was, a, I mean, if you have an opportunity to go to GDC, the, they do this every year, two day game design workshop, first mm-hmm. two days of GDC. It's, I mean, Martha, you didn't seem to love it, and I want to hear about that. But in my in my mind, at least that day was was super valuable. Yeah, I just felt like you were prototyping a board game, Mm -hmm. not not like you could get maybe the feel, but it was like it felt like you were iterating. You don't like board games. I don't like board games. (laughs) Oh, now it comes out. That's what it felt like. It was like here's, I just didn't. I mean, I know that like. They're super important to do, mm. but well, or like one strategy. Yeah, but, it, it, but I don't understand how it. I just don't understand how it translates. I sort of understand it, but I don't mm-hmm. really understand how it translates from paper to how it will actually feel playing it on sure. the screen. Sure, I get that. Um, I guess the way I see it is that like when you make a paper prototype or even a prototype. Um, you're trying to just get the base idea, and this idea can inspire uh, more things. Uh, so, like, let's say you want to make a fighting game. You start with the base premise that all, like, every every there's a rock paper scissors, rock paper scissors like mechanic thing um, with every fighting game, like uh, ranged attacks, beat short ranged attacks, or stuff like that. Um, so you start with that base mechanic. Uh, actually, it's like attack, block, and throw. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> I know these things, guys, I swear. Uh, <laughs> um, but anyways, you start with that base thing and you just make a little uh, rock, paper, scissors y thing. Uh, and then you show it to people and then they're like, oh, this is kind of boring because there's no uh, reward for doing it. You just either pick one and then you get you win or you lose. There's not much to it. So then you're like, oh, hmm, maybe I should go back and try to add more things to it. So you add an unblockable attack that beats uh, that beats guards and throws. Uh, then you have, then you bring it to somebody, and you're like, "Why? Why would I do this? I would always just pick the unblockable attack." You know, things like that. It just, it, it. I guess it's the beginning of an iteration process, mm-hmm. to me, anyways. But I understand, like, if you're doing it, if you're making a paper version of that, there's not. It's hard to see the future of that product. But if you're just going for a feel thing, it might inspire more. Uh, it might inspire more f- uh, from your uh, video game project later on. 
when you start out that way. Like you might be able, you might take notes and then later down the line you're working on a mechanic and you go, hmm, I wonder what I could do with this. You go back to your notes from before and you're like, oh yeah, this is a cool idea. I should do this. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I, I that that makes sense to mm-hmm. get like gather ideas, but I feel like you would get a lot of false negatives from people who don't like board games. Sure. Okay. <laughs> okay. So Martha, don't ever play my paper prototypes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there, there are a lot of yeah. things you can't test when you. Man, this turned into a paper prototype episode. Sorry. That's fine. <laughs> I, I was kind of hoping it would go either way. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyways, uh, well, I think because prototypes are paper prototypes are a teaching tool that at least uh, like through the immersion program here yep. and at the GDC exercise we all did yep. that is presented as like step one of game prototyping, mm-hmm. and a lot of times it's just easy to then and certainly as digital designers and developers, it's super easy just to take w- what, what you have as a prototype and just call it a first draft and keep working on it. And yeah. so maybe that's the reason why we're talking about paper prototyping is because the thing, they, the thing you're supposed to do with a prototype is separate it completely from the final work. You start over when you do the real production work. Right. But that's really hard on an indie budget and with indie motivation and you know, the indie timescale. So, but paper prototyping is automatically does that. And so it's easier to talk in those terms. Yeah. Because it's, right, it's certainly the most experience I've had in prototyping. Mm-hmm. Once I start working on something in, you know, on my machine, you know, start writing code, it's really, really difficult to get into the mindset of like, this is just for now. Yeah. Right, because right. you, it's it, like it's a it's a sunk cost. At least it feels like a sunk cost. Mm-hmm. Um, even though the correct answer is it's not. It's something you should be doing. But that's why you. Well, that actually segues really nicely into like how long you should spend on your prototypes. Yeah. Because uh, I feel like oftentimes I might spend a ton of time on a thing, and I'm like, "Ooh, this is really cool," and then I bring it into a play test or have someone or show it to my team. They're like, "This doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, I don't. I don't like this." <laughs> You're like, "Ah, oh, crap! I spent." Two weeks on this thing. It's usually me just saying that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get that feedback. And then you're fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, so the question is, when should you start working on your prototype? And how long, like, how long should you do it? Uh, it depends. To me, it depends on how big, it always depends on how big the thing you're supposed to be testing is. Mm-hmm. But I try to spend as little time as possible on it so that I can get it tested right away yeah. and get feedback. Because I don't want to put, just like you were saying with the sunk cost policy, I don't want to put too much time in it and go, oh man, I spent all this time on it. I should just work on it more and more until it's ready. But it might just not be right for your game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So to get it tested as soon as possible is, I, I think, the way to go. Um, so I spend as little time as possible working on it. Yeah. That's, that's come to bite me in the butt sometimes when <laughs> the thing isn't quite ready yet, but I, I still show it off to people anyways. Yeah, and I think the, the question then for you, Stephen, is like, when do, you, when do you have the confidence, when you show off something that you just spend a little time on just to get it ready to show to someone, yeah. and they give you some feedback, how confident are you that that feedback is fully, understand, fully understands what you're trying to test? And that the, uh, So you have to decide one of two things. Either, let's say it's bad feedback. Yeah. Either I refine this feature in prototype form and try again, mm-hmm. or I scrap this feature and do something else. It, when, how do you make that determination? That is a good question. Uh... I often just play it by ear. So, mm-hmm. like, if a person says, uh, "Oh man, I had such a tough time with this thing. Uh, this functionality just didn't work for me, and I just was very frustrated the whole time." That's it's clear to me that this thing isn't working out, and so I should just I should just move on. Sure. But uh, if there's like a if there's like a tinge or like a, mm-hmm. a hint of an idea that this person is kind of getting it and understanding what I'm going for, and it and it, they're enjoying that, then. Uh, and it makes sense at least to pursue it a little, a little bit further mm-hmm. um, and see what else I can get out of it. So I, 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 will, I will find it if, 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 it become, if it comes to that point. But oh, okay. 
Uh, it it yeah, it varies because yeah, depending on how much work I put into it and how much I was feeling it personally. Uh, how how long do you guys spend on your prototype? <laughs> well, I, I said this before in the developer art section. Like, I God, it's so difficult to mm-hmm. not just get started. Yeah, and um, I I'd like to say that the reason of that is I do a lot of planning in my mind. Um, my math teachers in elementary school would get really mad because I never showed my work, oh. and I was like, it didn't take me any time. Yeah. Like, I was good at math in elementary school, not further in my career. <laughs> so I'm not trying to brag or anything, but like that's always been the way I've thought. Is like. Mm-hmm. I've always had a like sort of a vision and I just start putting it down and I feel very confident. And then I start the play testing and then that's when I refine. Um, so I don't have a good sense on prototyping. Like okay. I, I feel I'm very bad at it. Mm. And so like I don't have a good answer to that question because I don't have a ton of experience, frankly. Okay. Like, you know, to be honest, like sure. who am I to give advice on it, frankly? <laughs> but that's why I say, like, I know what the right advice is. I don't feel I'm very good at following it. Okay. Yeah, I, I can understand that. Mm-hmm. I have a similar experience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although I feel I feel like Game jams can be, I know we've talked a lot about game jams, but I guess thinking about Clawbreaker, the game jam version was basically a prototype of a proof of concept of like, this is the thing. And then we added so much more onto it and changed, like changed how some of the things worked after. Yeah. Like if you go and play the, the game jam version, it feels different from the almost complete version it does it totally does like i actually when i uh when we finished that game jam i actually didn't like the product we finished with in that game jam it it didn't Mm -hmm. feel right but then we spent one day uh like what was it four hours we spent afterwards tuning some of the the feel and stuff and then i was like oh man this game is great um (laughs) so man sometimes it's just that sometimes it's hard to see uh the future Mm -hmm. for from your prototype but yeah if you spend a little bit of time on it. it, and it's hard, it's tough to know. It's tough yeah. to know whether or not you're doing the right thing or not. Do you make like full separate code and stuff for your prototypes and then like leave it behind and rewrite the code? Or do you build on your prototype? Uh, I often build on my prototype, and that's yeah. probably not the best practice. You know, I guess we've chastised ourselves. I certainly have about that practice, but yeah. there is something to be said about. I mean, when um, in a previous episode you talked about Fingence being meant as a mobile game, mm-hmm. the, you described it in this way that felt totally alien to me. Mm-hmm. But I bet that code then went on, right? You didn't scrap it; you just kept refining. Isn't Some that right? of that, uh, very, very little of that okay. code. <laughs> well, I mean, survived. but you didn't throw it away immediately, right? It, oh, no, it just no. got replaced. It's the ship Ethesius over time, yeah. right? I think that then that just becomes the fuzzy definition of a prototype. Mm. Like I would call that a prototype, like you know, just because yeah. it's so different. So. Maybe I mean maybe you you don't have to throw it all out. Maybe you can just keep working. No, on no, it and I, it's just more of a organizational uh, uh, um, uh, structure than it is about actually like you know what I wrote this function. I don't need to write it again. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, that, that that's a good point. Like like your prototypes can be as big as small as you want them to be. So I will prototype a little enemy and I'll just take a sprite from my brother he made years back or something, and um, I'll, I'll mess with some code that Lane made um, and put it on my this enemy. And then I'll throw it into the wild and, and test it with people, and they might like it or not. And then in that case, I'll just like I'd, I'll either make a new script or adjust the one that I have, maybe mess with the numbers and stuff, mm-hmm. and just work with that. So you you don't have to throw away your your code prototype code. Uh, and like a lot of times, people say, yeah, you should just you know prototype it and then just scrap it. But maybe the code is good enough that you don't have to do that. It's mm-hmm. man, a lot of this is just playing it by ear. You just have to feel it out. Yeah, and I yeah. think that just takes practice. 
maybe that's really the best advice is like, you know, as long as you have the, the, the rules of thumb in terms of what you want to get out of it, mm-hmm. the process is maybe less important. Yeah. And that's maybe that's the get out of jail free card I need. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I suppose. Yeah, uh, I want to know about your guys' examples of prototypes that you've made in the past, and it doesn't have to be about a big game mm-hmm. uh, that you wanted to work on. It could just be like a small thing you wanted to mess with in uh, your current projects too. For me, on the spot. <laughs> uh, well, I've been doing the past year. I've been doing lots of VR prototypes. Yeah, but prototypes in a in that's not even really the right word. It's, it's doing a lot. I'm doing a lot of my own learning. So. Mm-hmm. I'll test, um, you know, um, uh, uh, hand presence grabbing and throwing. I'll test interactable objects. Um, yeah. You know, like if you have a key in your VR hand and use it to open a lock, well, there's nothing that you touch. And so the physicality of it is so strange. So I've done some tests where trying to find a way to make that, fe- and it all went very badly. And I'm not showing these to anybody because they're, not, they're <laughs> oh, not really they're not really game ideas. They're so, You're just but, messing around with yeah, the system. Sure. And I, I call them prototypes, and maybe that's not the right word for well, them, but that's would, been the most... Because maybe yeah. it's because I don't have the idea to take it forward, mm. I'm able to sort of stop them and then throw them away. <laughs> <laughs> I would I would argue those are prototypes. You're just experimenting with what you have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got really excited for a second there, Martha. I, I want to hear what you want to say. <laughs> yeah, when you said VR, it reminded me of a prototype that I made in Tilt Brush. Oh, for mm. a VR idea I have, um, which I should make more on. Uh, so the idea is that you're. Uh, a ghost or something that can look through walls mm. and so behind all these VR walls are like little scenes happening and so you can stick your head through the wall oh. and then see stuff happening behind it so I made this thing in Tilt Brush like this wall and then behind it like a little scene and then just had people like walk up like well had my boyfriend walk up to it and <laughs> put his head through and see all this, like, see what would happen um, and that was really cool for VR, especially, mm-hmm. these things mm-hmm. are more tools are starting to happen that make prototyping things re- like easy. Yeah. Uh, because there was no code involved. It was all like drawing yeah. the thing. And yeah. like it didn't look great, but it gave the idea of what I was going for. And you were, you were testing out a, like a game feel, like a, a concept. Yeah. I mean, that's such a perfect prototype. It is. Right. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> wonderful. Cool. Now I want to check that out. Yeah, get on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That actually brings me up to my next question. When, mm-hmm. when do you guys share your prototypes? Well, wait, we need to hear from you, man. Oh, crap. Oh, yeah, I guess <laughs> I've made prototypes. Uh, yeah, don't well. scrape the bottom of this barrel. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, Well, okay, I, 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 I actually have done both what you guys have done. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've sometimes just experimented with uh, an idea that I had and just fooled around with it a bit. And I was like, oh, this is kind of cool, but it's probably not going to lead anywhere. And then I just don't show it to people and yeah. trash it. Um, and then there are other times when I've made a prototype and I'm like, this has potential. Um, and I'll uh, show, it, show it to someone and they're like, oh, this is really cool. Um, I've also made prototypes for, like you brought up before, Mark, uh, mm-hmm. I've made prototypes for small things in Fingence. Yeah. Um, so the way that there's uh, an augment system in the game where uh, if you, or after you beat a level, you can pick between three different uh, special attachments you can add to your ship and they impact how your ship works. Um, I made... Uh, paper prototypes of those and I just put a description on what those augments would do and I just randomly picked three of them and gave them to people and it was actually uh, people really enjoyed that it was pretty cool yeah, I did that one and yeah. that, that felt that felt really cool like I mm-hmm. could see I can I could see your mind at work too mm. when you were evaluating our responses yeah like, it, was, it was pretty cool yeah yeah um, but I got a lot of feedback out of that and I knew which which ones were worth pursuing and which ones weren't 
Uh, I didn't get enough to like, or I didn't get enough people testing it to like get a solid idea on it or perfect idea on it. But like, I had a good, I, I had a good, I could judge from that. Yeah. Um, and so it's just, yeah, prototyping super useful. That, but that's what I, that's what I, that's what I've done. Yeah. Uh, anyways, sharing prototypes. That's what I want to know. Yeah. Uh, I just told you about an example I had. When you guys share your prototypes, when you feel they're good to go. Well, there's one I did share some months ago, yeah. which uh, I, when I got, I got a Hololens, and mm-hmm. I was very giddy with it, and I was also <laughs> learning um, what is it, the, the Unity animation? Uh, oh, uh, Mechanum. Mechanum. Yes, yeah. that's right. I was learning Mechanum, and um, so I, um, I I rigged up a you know a humanoid model, and I want I had this idea where you have a sort of a third person avatar. It's full size. Uh, in your space, and then you control them with a controller. So it's like it's like a first-person, third-person kind of game where you are the camera um, and have first-person controls. Okay. And so the, in order to do this, I wanted to see, well, you know, the thing they recommend with HoloLens development is partly because the the small um, uh, view size, and because they say, well, you always want you want to put the clipping range about two meters from you. So if you get really close, to, within two meters of an object. Um, they recommend you start clipping the object. Don't mm. wait till you get like three inches from it. Yeah. So unlike VR um, with AR, that like they, it's a different set of like sort of best practices. And mm. I, my concept kind of broke those. And so I wanted to test to see like, did this make any sense? Right? To have a full scale six per- six foot person standing in front of you in your apartment, is that not enough space for gameplay or whatever? Okay. And so I, I built this thing, which was basically just me as a virtual model that I could control with a keyboard with my HoloLens on, and I just walked him around my apartment, bumped him into walls, <laughs> had him step on the couch, and, uh, and I, did, I recorded a video of this, and I thought it was hilarious, so I shared <laughs> it online, but that's why I shared it, because I thought it was funny. Like, okay. You know? So I wasn't really looking for feedback, sure. I was kind of more looking maybe for encouragement, partly because I don't really have the confidence to take a prototype and do testing on it. Okay. Well, I mean, that's, that's good motivation, is yeah. to be motivated by your prototype and get people to see and go, oh, wow, this is cool. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's a good way of going. Uh, Martha, what about you? I haven't shown mine yet. Oh, well, see. So maybe this is a call to arms sort of <laughs> thing for me to, uh, to start sharing. Yeah, some yeah. Stuff. I'd like to see it. What, what kind of prototype you have? Uh, the VR one, I suppose. Yeah. And maybe some others. Oh. <laughs> maybe talk about that in the next topic. We'll oh, see. Okay, right. okay. <laughs> well, that sounds like a nice segue into the next topic, I think. Guys, guys, let's talk about point-and-click adventures. Okay, I guess. <laughs> Yay, point-and-click. <laughs> they're fun. I mean, to some people. Steven, they're fun. <laughs> I mean, I guess. <laughs> I'm not really much of a fan of point-and-click adventure games. Mm-hmm. Not, not for me, mainly. But Yeah. Um, well, you're Mr. Action Game. Yeah, I am. So it's not just, I mean, it's like you just like the other, the opposite of that. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) that's kind of how I am. (laughs) I like puzzle games, sort of, depends Mm -hmm. on the puzzle, but um, point and click specifically uh, do not scratch any itches that I have. (laughs) (laughs) Well, lately I've been going through some uh, childhood point and clicks um, and analyzing all their puzzles and how, and there's like how many scenes there are and how they're all interconnected and um, and then making mind maps out of these uh, like here's a here's the character and here's a puzzle and here's like drawing arrows between them being like you have to move the key to the door and then you can access this new spot mm-hmm. just to see 
how ones that I know are really good and that I love to play, how they work and how many puzzles they have and how they're spaced. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because I'm working on a prototype for a... uh, Good segue, solid. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, for a point-and-click adventure. Cool, okay. Yeah, uh, what you're describing is like a puzzle dependency graph, kind of, right? What? Yes, I suppose. Okay, so it's a specific kind of like flowchart that is about um, laying out all the puzzles in like, say, like an old LucasArts-style game. Um, at GDC last year, 2016, I saw a poster talk about the Day of the Tentacle puzzle dependency graph. And it was just printed out. Hmm. And you could walk up and kind of take a look and see oh, like wow. all the different things in the game and which puzzles can't be approached until you solve previous ones or which two. Martha's getting that, like, she's shaking with joy <laughs> over there. Um, but yeah, what you're describing is basically seems a lot like that. And it becomes really instructive towards balancing your, your time in terms of like, or the player's time, rather. Um, and it, but it also seems like remarkably difficult, like to mm-hmm. get right. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, it's it, uh, the approach. I, I'm curious about the approach that these designers take, which I didn't get from this talk, which is, do you come up with the, cause it's essentially, it's narrative, right? The, it's, you know, from beginning to end or multiple endings or whatever. Um, you know, do you approach it by saying like, okay, we need to put a puzzle here. Or do you think about the story and say, oh, this would be a good place for puzzle. Or do you just think about the puzzles in the abstract and, just like the order in which you do things. Mm-hmm. I guess I just need to sit down and watch Double Fine Adventure. Like <laughs> <laughs> Double Fine Adventure, so good. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, Stephen, you and I recently played Day of the Tentacle. We did. Um, had a bunch of people over to my place on two consecutive Sundays, I think it took us. Uh, I think it was a Sunday and like a Tuesday. Or okay. <laughs> <laughs> but either way, yeah. Um, and uh, it you was... Had, you had a good time. I, we, yeah, but like I, like I had said before, it's... I didn't necessarily have a good time because of the game. It was more because I was with people and being social. Uh-huh. But uh, for me, I guess, like point-and-click adventure games uh, are very, uh, not abstract. What's the word? When Requires lateral thinking. Yes. Not my, not my strong suit. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, it's like, okay. So like, there, there's like in um, Day of the Tentacle, there was, what was it? Red paint or something. We were in like a, woodshed or something and there was like red paint and i was like i don't need red paint right now i'm not gonna pick this up and everybody else was like no you gotta pick up the red paint you might need it later and i was like but i don't need it right now guys i'm trying to find gold (laughs) 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 so i ended up just picking it up begrudgingly Uh but like that that's just not how i think it's not it doesn't make sense to me to go like I might need this later, so just pick it up now. Pick up all the things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, when you have a bag of holding, like, <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Well, we're playing Zelda, and like, I can't pick up all the swords, and it's very frustrating. <laughs> you don't need all the swords. I but... want to pick up all the swords, Stephen. <laughs> Every one. Um, yeah, it's 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 just it's if okay if the game hasn't so the game gives you an objective. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes the object or the puzzles that you're given uh, are not specifically related to that objective. Mm-hmm. So, like for example, uh, I'm trying to get gold so I can power up this. This game is weird. Day of the Tentacle. Yeah. You're trying to power up a time traveling porta potty. Oh, you're looking for the diamond. Was it diamond? That yeah, was it yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I was looking for that. And gold doesn't power time machines. <laughs> Come on, Stephen. Of course. Time uh, machine 101. <laughs> And so Tesla um, doesn't need a time machine. <laughs> anyway, um, um, so um, I uh, was I was lo- I was going around looking for this diamond, um, uh, but eventually, like you needed to uh, 
talk to George Washington because you're in the past and you need he needs he wants to chop down a tree, but he only chops down cherry trees. And then there's this. What was it? A kumquat tree. It was a kumquat tree. And you had to I realized that I needed the red paint to make that red so he could chop down the tree because that tree makes uh, that tree goes away in the future. So that what was her name? Doreen Laverne Laverne <laughs> Laverne um, <laughs> stuck in that tree. Yeah, she was stuck in that tree. So if, if, you, if you chop that tree down, it falls down later and then the, she can do future adventures or whatever. Yeah. Um, but all of that you sound excited describing this. <laughs> Well, at that point, it was when, kinda, you, when you figured that out, okay, you didn't have I, an audible. <gasps> yeah, when I found that, when I figured out I needed the red paint to paint the tree, I was it was kind of cool. But <laughs> 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 sure, but um, <laughs> but when when um, but after you have to do all of these things, and you still don't even get this diamond that you need. So like, uh-huh. I'm doing all this random crap, and I'm like, why am I doing all this random crap? But the point is, so you can get more objects. So you can use those in other things. So you can get more objects. So you can use those in other things. Yeah. So you can get to the diamond. Well, you really make a like point and click sound like World of Warcraft or something. Well, <laughs> where all you do is click and get things. They kind of are. <laughs> I guess when you put it that way, it sounds terrible. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of story stuff involved in things, but yeah. that just in general doesn't appeal to me. Uh, see, so. I really, I really like that. I like mm-hmm. you have an objective, and then you 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 go earnestly for that objective, knowing yeah. full well you're going to be spun off into different directions. Yeah. But what's nice is then you encounter a weird block and you're like, well, I can't get to it because of this or I, I've checked everywhere and it's not anywhere. And then you're like, well, I guess I could look in here but I can't get to that place. And you have mm-hmm. no idea if what you're looking for is in that place. Yeah. But now you're focused on checking the final place you haven't looked yet. Mm-hmm. And then, okay, what can, what, what's stopping me from that? Oh, this is stopping me from that. Okay, well, this guy won't help me up here because he, I haven't given him the widget he needs. Okay, how do I get the widget he needs? And so you work sort of backwards and like, that's just super fun to me, but I, yeah. I can get how that's, it's like there are certain types of games where it's not fun until it's fun. Yeah. Right. And it sounds like where you're drawing that line is everywhere up to the very yeah. reward Actually, of it. Yes. And uh, I, I won't begrudge you that. Like that's, that <laughs> I, Cause there's games like that where I'm, I don't have fun until I have fun. Mm-hmm. So, and oftentimes the solutions are just very unintuitive to uh-huh. me anyways. Like yeah. you will, uh, what was the one where like you have to, Wipe the car. Wash, oh, wash, yes. You have to wash a car, and that will cause uh, a storm to happen. So Benjamin Franklin can discover electricity or something. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense, right? Yeah, because it's the old, it's the old aphorism. Like you, every time you wash your car, it just suddenly rains, uh-huh. which feels like that's a joke that feels like uh, timeless. But I don't think people have said it in 20 years. Yeah, so that might be why that was particularly weird. And it's like cultural knowledge. Like you have to yeah, have known that phrase mm-hmm. to then do the thing and if you didn't know the phrase you would never have gotten it unless you and then you get into the point and click dead zone where you're just trying everything on everything yeah yep, yeah yep. that happened a lot when we were playing day of the tentacle it's funny because we were doing that just trying everything on everything mm-hmm. but that didn't work it yeah it only worked after we figured it out which yeah. doesn't make any sense it, you should be able to find the solution that way eventually mm-hmm. but for I, that's why i think that game is particularly well designed mm. because it will it will it won't let you stumble to it. You do actually have to figure it out. Mm. Uh, you know, I mean, that that puzzle wasn't the best, but <laughs> <laughs> they're not all going to be hits. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the thing. I think uh, that's one of the things about point and clicks is like there's always a bunch of crappy ones in mm. there, the crappy puzzles, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But one thing I like about you were talking before about how you end up getting spun off in different directions and you're not going towards your main goal all the time, mm-hmm. and one w- one thing I like about that is that you have this objective, or at least in the, in the ones that I've played, it's like you have this objective, but then you run into a bunch of people who 
you it's like you become this person who is helping everyone who you run into. Okay. And mm-hmm. it's like a sort of selfless giving sort of thing where even though in the end they're getting you towards something you want, but it's like everyone you meet has a problem and you're going to help solve it. Oh, it's mm. an RPG kind of. Yeah. Pressure. That's cool. Okay. So I can see the appeal yeah. in that. <laughs> That's awesome. <I> anyway, <laughs> and you get to meet all these cool kooky characters and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So you, you said you had a prototype that you were working on. Yeah. You want to disclose? Talk about it? Yes, you should. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, early and often. Early and often. Yep. Okay. Um, um, so my idea is that, uh, so I have two little second cousins. Um, their names are Cece and Phoebe. And uh, I've been thinking of making a game for them because uh, okay. I loved uh, point and clicks when I was a kid. And um, I think having one starring them as um, like princesses who are crazy and like have awesome adventures and get to like do all these cool things, mm-hmm. be knights and fight armies and stuff like that. Cool. Okay. Um, so that's uh, the idea is that they would, um, there's this, dra- like they're really into thunder dragons, like dragons that like, our electricity huh. dragons. Okay. I don't know. They call them Thunder Growls, and I don't know if that's a thing or not. <laughs> There's one in Zelda. Oh, yeah, that's true. A thing called a Thunder Growl. Uh, oh, no, just a Thunder Dragon. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I was like, oh, wow. Um, <laughs> I don't know what it's called. I just ran away from it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So the idea would be that um, they're in, in their castle, there's going to be a Thunder Growl festival, and they have to go around helping everyone. Uh, gear up for the festival mm-hmm. and all the people in the castle will be our relatives oh in, that's like, incredible I like yeah. that a lot yeah so like my cousin Jimmy would be in charge of the fireworks room because he's always in charge of fireworks at 4th <laughs> of July and like uh, one of their aunts on the, on the other side is becoming a nurse so she'd be like the castle nurse or whatever mm-hmm. and um, half they're uh, they're half Korean so half the like half the castle would be medieval Europe and half the castle would be medieval uh, Korean style. Mm-hmm. So, huh. see now that sounds like a point and click I could get into because the objective is to finish this festival, and obviously there's going to be a bunch of different tasks we have to do in order to, uh, to have finish you, the festival. Have you ever played any of the humongous point and clicks uh, that I rant about all the time? <laughs> the Spy Fox thing. Yeah, I I don't think I have played a humongous one. There was one that was like with a car. Putt putt. Oh yeah, I think I played putt putt. I think I played that. <laughs> Pajama Sam is one of my favorite ones, and okay. usually there's in my favorite one of them. It's he's it's called Thunder and Lightning aren't so frightening, mm-hmm. and he's going and learning about how um, storms aren't scary and they're like something that we need mm-hmm. to, for oh. everything to be alive. Okay. Uh, but he goes <laughs> ends up in this in the factory where weather is made, and um, mm-hmm. he breaks all the machines accidentally by pressing the break all machines button. <laughs> <laughs> And so he has to help Thunder and Lightning put all the machines back together. So he's got like a list of objectives that he has to do. So it's not one big thing. It's like he has to go through and, and find all the, the pieces that he broke. Okay. So okay. would some, th- something like that sound more that appealing? That does sound more appealing, yeah. You know, I think a game like yours might benefit from like modes. Like one is just where like do all the things that Steven wants. <laughs> and also would be more approachable to someone who like is just getting into an adventure game like this. Someone younger, someone like the who you're basing this on. 
Uh, and then also like an, a mode that is, has dependencies because I do think that that is one of the principal joys of the genre is unlocking new things to unlock new things. I think you could still you could still make it so that like you have to get a thing to get a thing to get a thing to oh, actually yeah. do what you're trying to do. Even sure. with the, with that example you were talking about, Martha. Mm-hmm. So I like that direction. You should stick with that. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of interesting how a lot of um, those kind of kindergarten-y games uh, were point and clicks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like the old computer game. Yeah. <laughs> I was yeah, thinking about that. Like we call things all things video games now. But like back when I was a kid, like there was a like differentiation between like I'm playing a computer game now yeah. between and playing a video game, mm-hmm. quote unquote. Yeah. So um, like Cosmic Osmo is one I was thinking of when you talked about like the point and clicks. And a lot of the reason that many of those games, especially educational ones, were point and clicks because they were made in hypercard. Oh. Which was my first love. It was the first sort of interactive design I ever did was in hypercard in elementary school. And that, that's what, and Mist, the first Mist was, <gasps> Mist, 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 uh, Mist. was initially uh, expanded on uh, a hypercard in, in a runtime, which is like an incredible fact. Like, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's conducive, you know, because it's like point and clicks, all you, the entire mechanics are point and clicking. Yeah. Like there's very, maybe some dragging. But that's all there is to it, and so you can uh, fill that with so much, mm-hmm. and it's and anyone can play it. Yeah, that's right? true, that's and that's, a, that's definitely a goal of educational games is they need to be approachable to a fault. Yeah. Oh, then I guess that that makes it a lot of sense. Then mm-hmm. okay, cool. I was thinking while we were talking about paper prototypes, how point and clicks actually work would work really well as a paper prototype, yeah. actually, mm-hmm. because you could have the whole drawing and then just have people tell you what they would click. Right. And then say, yeah. like, have little paper things if it's an interactable thing and be like, ha ha, here, now you get the sword or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And then you can have your cousins uh, do it. Yeah. You can have them play test it. Oh yeah. my gosh. Wow. That is cool. Yeah. You can prototype the flow of it too. You could have, like, this is where a puzzle goes. And you don't, you know, you can, you can have pieces in various states of finality and some things which require a digital expression and some things that don't. And mm-hmm. it should, yeah, you could very quickly, you can get it on its feet. Yeah. Done, if done that way. Yeah, wow. This is so exciting. <laughs> oh my gosh. Dang, now I want to see what you're going to come up with. This is so, well, now we cool. have people to, uh, you know, uh, tweet you and ask, where is it, Martha? So, <laughs> so listeners, tweet at Martha, at Martha McGarry, and let her, uh, let her know you're interested. Mm-hmm. Sweet. <laughs> well, uh-huh. I'm trying to come up with a graceful transition to your topic, Mark. That was pretty good. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I wanted to talk about uh, user interfaces. Um, yes, 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 yes. Yes, which is something that like it can seem kind of dry, but like when you get into it, it's so interesting and so multidimensional. Mm-hmm. Um, first thing I wanted to do is I did just a little research to sort of check the basic definitions that you know when people discuss these things. And, people, uh, I mean, people, listeners. Uh, Mark has written out extensive notes for this episode. Yes. Like <laughs> this man came prepared. Yes. <laughs> oh well. <laughs> well, don't act like that's special. <laughs> I, I just thought it was cool. Yeah. Well, thanks for saying. Well, uh, here I'm, I'll just I'll barf out some of these notes at you guys. Um, there are four main types of sort of user interface in video games, and the two big categories are diegetic and non-diegetic. And um, I first learned the one diegetic from. Uh, filmmaking it's a, about audio like uh, diegetic means of the world so mm. um, in the case of audio it's uh, playing on a jukebox in the diner in the movie right and then non-diegetic is playing in the score in the theater right so that's the difference so UI works the same way 
where non-diegetic UI is very familiar. It's you know world one one eight hundred coins whatever, mm-hmm. um, and then diegetic is where thing, elements in the game, either three D elements or uh, displays, you know something that, that explains gives information to the player. And diegetic UI presents a particular challenge because the character and the player sometimes need different information depending mm-hmm. on what the story is. Right. Um, there's a couple of quick examples for diegetic. One of the most famous ones is Dead Space. Which has essentially no HUD, and all of its user, uh, all of its player data is in uh, uh, on the character model. So there's a life bar on on his on his armor, which is just a series of lights running up his back, up his mm-hmm. spine. Mm-hmm. that shows his you know life bar, which in practically makes no sense. Like you'd never see that, but like to the the player sees it, and then they have like a stamina or like you know some other mechanic thing that's done like that, and that really is conducive to the sort of the 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 dark horror. Um, aesthetic of that game. Mm. And so it's very useful in that sense. Now, on the other hand, one of the most famous non-diegetic examples is World of Warcraft, which is just like <laughs> stuffed with nonsense <laughs> and text all over the screen yeah. because you need all that information. The player in their chair needs to interact with those things. And so trying to make those diegetic would be counterintuitive or counterproductive to the, the development of the game. Right. And so um, those are the two main ones. And there's some variations. The other two are spatial, which is uh, things like player name overlays. You see in a three in MMOs, particularly until World of Warcraft has this, you see a, the 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 username floating above their character model. Um, that gives information, but is is contextualized in the world. But oh, it's not sure. part of the world. Okay, right. So um, lots of racing games will have like you can customize your car, and the camera will swoop around the car, and then the the user interface will be sort of like in a sort of a floating next to the thing and gives you some more context on how you interact with this like custom parts and stuff. Okay. So that can be really useful um, for that sense. Um, and then um, the, one of the more famous ones of spatial uh, UI is a really interesting experiment, but ended up not being followed up on. I don't think no one else uses this, but in a uh, stealth game, Splinter Stealth Conviction, mm-hmm. um, when you uh, basically has like unseen projected words that are like, uh, projected onto walls that give the player tutorial information. Oh, I so, feel like I've seen that before. Yeah, we'll link to this in the show notes because yeah. it's something that I once I saw it, I'm like, oh right, this mm-hmm. it was such a cool idea. But it was like novel, but no one really loved it. It was just kind of a neat idea where you had um, it, it very designed, um, almost like um, as it was written out on like a poster, where like the, the 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 font was laid out in sort of an interesting way, and each one of these was then projected onto the wall in the space of the player. Or in the face of the character, but uh, only the player could see it, right? So it was like as if there's a little Pico projector behind in a house plant, uh, like beaming these words onto a wall in the character's world, but no one saw it, right? Yeah. So you'd see like it would tell you to like oh, uh, go from cover to cover, or go through this window, or and the idea is is that that conveyed information to the player that the character would be thinking, or or they would it would be it would occur to them that they would need to do. Mm-hmm. Oh, that reminds me of Mirror's Edge, that runner's vision thing. Yes, that's a, another excellent example. In fact, that's an even better example of like <laughs> of sort of like using the the, the world where it, it's runner's vision, so it only appears in the mind of the runner. Yeah, and then uh, uh, the Mirror's Edge sequel kind of ruined it by making it part of like a bionic implant. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, barf yeah. to that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and that those things are so fascinating because the different approaches you take. Um, are beneficial to different gameplay styles you have. Um, and the last one I'll mention uh, it is the, it's called Meta. So it's kind of s- similar where it's gameplay elements, um, a UI that, that is realistic to the world that, you, that the game takes place in, but the UI itself is not realistic. So the best example of this is like Blood Splatter, you know, like a multiplayer shooter. Like no one's wearing a, plain, a plate glass window on their face, but yeah. that's what it looks like when you get hit. 
Um, and this is something that, that I know that I'm trying to do in my game, which is to make a user interface that looks like subway wayfinding, mm. but is presented to the player non-diegetically. Right? But it, it's meant to be... And the thing about these types of elements is that they're, it, it's called meta because it's sort of like, it, it's kind of realistic, but it, it acknowledges the existence of the player rather than trying to pretend it's of the world. Yeah. But it's designed using the same kind of like, um, the, the logic of the world. If that makes sense, it's like it's a bit of a gray area, but that really fascinates me in, in particular. Cool. So now that that's all laid out, <laughs> uh, like to you guys, what what makes game UI good? Like what's and what's bad? Like what are the sort of things you look for, or the things you notice about uh, UI? Yeah. Uh, so for me, um, if I notice that the UI is bad, it's bad. <laughs> Which, ooh, really descriptive, right? But I mean, I I, just, I generally don't really notice. UI that much? Mm-hmm. I, 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 if I need the information, I hope it's right there. If it's right, if it's not right there, then I am annoyed, and I don't want to be annoyed with my UI. I just want to make sure that it's all what I need is what I need. You wouldn't like him when he's annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so that's that's my opinion. Um, and if it like if it's good, then I don't notice, and I don't notice it, or everything I need is in front of me. Mm-hmm. So that's that's how I feel about that. Not too particular, Martha. I think that good UI, it has to like feel right for the game. Right. Like if it's a horror game or something, it should be sp- spooky looking. Or like mm-hmm. if it's, I don't, I, yeah, if it's a cute game, it should be cute UI. Right, right. It has to um, feel of a piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, um, I'm totally agreeing with that. And easy to use. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so things should be organized in a way that makes sense. Yeah. And should not be. That's so hard to describe. Yeah. Like I feel like I feel like when I see it, I know I'm like, yes, this is right. right, right. Or no, this is wrong. Yep, that's exactly how I feel. I've mm-hmm. just, if I don't notice it, then it's good. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think the practical advice from that is play test early and often, mm. right? Yeah. To, to know whether that's true because it's hard to. Well, it's hard to know. It's like the um, people talking about taste and how like you have taste before you have talent at it so I feel like I'm yeah. like ah oh, I know it's right but I can't make it myself like, <laughs> yet but yeah for me I think that the I'm with you 100% Martha like that, that you do know it when you see it and you tend to think like oh well you, you sort of fool yourself into thinking like oh this is what I like and what I don't and then you always get surprised mm. and that's true of other elements of games and other elements of life as well but with UI it does seem kind of like there are some best practices but you'll find these huge games that make really boneheaded mistakes it's because they're pretty easy to make yeah. Because it's it is it isn't a full set of rules, and every game has different ways. I mean, even things like how do you approach a pause menu? Like, is your pause menu also your inventory screen? Very often, yes, but sometimes it shouldn't be. And so, little things like that are not. Uh, even if you have a game that's similar, your game may have different requirements. Mm-hmm. And so that is like, yeah, you do kind of just know when you see it. But the one thing that I do uh, that appeals very strongly to me is um, an aesthetic that matches the game world. That, that feels itself well-considered and that respects the player uh, to, to figure it out and then, and then make it easy to use, and not, but not be so obsessed with making it easy to learn, yeah. which is something I like to say about a lot of things in games where it's like you don't want to... I mean, what, a lot of Zelda games famously would like show you the inventory item you just got out of the chest every time you got one. Yeah. And that's not respecting the player yeah. to remember those things. You know? mm-hmm. uh, new game doesn't do that, so that's good. Well, yeah, I suppose. For the moment. Well, it, it, when you're opening treasure chests, it, it does. And every ancient gear, but otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for real. 
So I guess, I mean, I kind of know the answer for you, Stephen, but mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people think that UI and, and the way that UX is, is developed with it, uh, should it get out of the way? Yes. Or should it, <laughs> don't answer yet. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, or should it sort of amplify the experience of the game? Can it do that? Or is that too big a, is that, is that just getting in the way? I definitely like it out of the way. Yeah. As I alluded to when I said yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, in fact. Let me uh, check the record though real quick. Yeah, he said that, guys. Oh, okay. <laughs> Got to make sure I'm on right. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I prefer there being, and in fact, in, in Zelda Breath of the Wild, uh, I have I turned it to pro UI. So all, oh. I, all I see are the hearts and then stamina uh, when it's relevant. And it goes away when it's not. No map, no footsteps, yep. no temperature gauge. None of that. You don't need it because Zelda does it right. It tells you everything you need as uh-huh. soon as it happens. When you go into a cold area and you need warm clothes, it, there's a blast of like cold air. Right, You're like, oh, right. crap, I'm cold. Yeah. And then when you press, pl- when you press pause, uh, Link is shivering. Yeah. It's, it's super obvious when you, when you need That's something. That's so cool. A lot right? of that is diegetic UI. In yes. A game that you wouldn't think has a lot of that. Yeah. But in fact, sort of subtly does. Right, right. And yeah. I, I just like I just like taking all that out. So like if I don't need to see uh, stamina or how much magic I have, I don't want to see it. And in fact, right. in Fingence, uh, we, have that, we have that be the case where if you don't, if your, uh, ener- your gadget cooldowns aren't visible, like you don't need to see them. They just aren't uh, vis- visible, so you have plenty of space to see your bullets that you need to dodge, and there's a lot of bullets, so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> you need to be able to see those. <clears throat> yeah, so that's that. I would just prefer all of that out of my out of my way as much as I could. Mm-hmm. So you feel like it, uh, like increases your immersion to not have like things saying you're cold at you. Yeah, actually, yes. Yeah, <clears throat> I in fact have modded Skyrim. Because um, <laughs> I still play that game, uh, I've modded Skyrim so that like the UI is basically out of the way all the time, as huh. opposed to the well, the way the way that it, I think the way that it worked before is like it would stay visible um, as long as you didn't have health, but you can just make it so that it's very faded. Um, I make it very uh, what's the word not not visible <laughs> when it's not relevant. transparent. Transparent, that's the word. Uh, I make it transparent when or most of the time. Um, when I don't need it. And in fact, with the cursor and everything, I just make it as transparent as possible so it's not in the way. Huh. That's yeah. really interesting. How do you feel, Martha? Like, do you want to get that noise out of your hair? Or? Well, I guess it depends. Like, there's sort of two parts of UI, like the, the HUD versus menu systems. Sure. And I'm thinking of Borderlands franchise for different examples mm-hmm. for this. Uh, like in the first game, um, there was no map. There was only a compass mm-hmm. to tell you where your objective things are. Oh. And that was the most frustrating thing in the world. I was like, I need a map. Where's the map? <laughs> this thing at the bottom is useless. Um, so that I would want more UI because mm-hmm. the minimal, uh, I think they were trying to be like, we don't need, you don't need all that stuff. We'll mm, just give right. you a compass. And that's like this little line at the bottom. And that's all you need. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, need more. <laughs> <laughs> um, but sometimes not having it is good. Um, well, it's really contextual, right? It depends on, sometimes the game should change its UI or its HUD depending on the situation you're in. Right. But maybe, yeah. but sometimes games just don't do that. And you end up with a lot of superfluous information sometimes. And then, Later, you have not enough information. You have to go to the pause menu for it or whatever. And so, 
um, that's why my opinion is that games should be designed with that in mind. Mm. And I don't know that enough are. I, maybe not everyone has that problem, but the ones that do seem to not care. Mm-hmm. I guess uh, Assassin's Creed is a good example where like sometimes there's just way too much information and sometimes yeah. just not nearly enough. Yeah. And maybe it's an open world problem. I don't know. Well, you just need to make sure you're showing the right stuff. Yeah. Many systems that are, are good that give you the information that you need right away that for borderlands for the second the second borderlands 2 mm-hmm. everyone seems to hate that menu system that i've talked to who also like play that game mm-hmm. but i really like it <laughs> um i think it gives like all the information that you need and i spend a lot of time in there because i do a lot of gun management uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh um and it's cool because it it is what's the word diegetic it's as if the character is looking at it in yeah the world and then like stardew valley has a really good ui i think because its hud is very minimal but then you go into the menu like the pause menu and you have so much information and you can get like really deep into like all the inventory and uh stuff you found and who likes you the most and stuff like (laughs) that (laughs) um i do have one gripe one specific gripe with uh, Borderlands, which I have this a lot of games, and Steven, you've probably heard me say this a million times, which is, I very much dislike that diegetic bit of UI where when you hit an opponent, numbers fly out of them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I want to burn that with fire. I hate it so much because it's it gives. If you no burned in- it with fire, with fire, would it have orange numbers coming out? <laughs> oh, I, I can't win. <laughs> and I, there people do quite like it, but I've never heard a convincing argument for why. Because it feels like it's not giving you any information. Because um, no one's adding those numbers up. Yeah, well, yes. Uh, Especially in But Portland. it feels so good when you have really high numbers coming up. That's what it, I was going to say. And yeah. so bad when there's little resists yeah. coming yeah. out. Right. Isn't that like, the job that of like, other visceral. elements of the game? Like animation and effects? Uh, sometimes it's just not enough. But I, sometimes it is, and you should do that. <laughs> I think it fits with the cartooniness of it. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Uh, you know what, I, I could... Okay, I can, I can see that, I suppose. But then it's, it's not doing the job I think it's failing at. Mm-hmm. It's just not trying to do that job then. In which case, that's okay, because maybe that's considered. But, uh, yeah, I just don't, I don't Oftentimes, know. I feel like damage numbers are an easy way to display when a player is improved or when they have better weapons or whatever uh, okay. uh, to be able to... Because, like, you start out... I don't know, Mario RPG, you start out, you're fighting a Goomba, and you're doing two damage. You're like, oh, crap, man, right. Goombas can beat me up. <laughs> but then uh, you're near the boss, and you're about to fight Bowser, and then you fight another Goomba, and you're doing 20 damage. You're like, oh, sure, snap, sure. 10 times powerful. But And it makes sense in RPGs and things yeah, like that. Yeah, it certainly does. But like, the information is, in fact, then digested by you. Right. Uh, but in, in action games, and, man, well, I guess Vengeance is also guilty of that, because we did add damage numbers. Uh, but we have an option. Okay, so we don't have to have it up. Is it because uh, I gave you crap about it? Maybe a little. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but um, we, yeah, it, it, it still portrays that information that like you are improving. So like you'll start uh, out in Vengeance doing five damage to this enemy, and yeah. then by the end of the campaign, you're doing uh, 200 damage to this enemy. And you're like, whoa, snap. This enemy's crap now. Sure. Uh, <laughs> so like it, it, it's a good way of dis- displaying that. Mm-hmm. But... Well, with Vengeance, we, it, it's kind of difficult because the numbers go in there. They come up so fast that you're not really paying attention to the numbers. You just know that the numbers are bigger than they were before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all. And that's really all you need, the information. That's all the information you need from that. Okay, okay. Well, in that context, I can see its utility. Yeah. Still hate it with the 
fiery passion of a thousand suns. <laughs> <laughs> but how, like, you can tell if they're <laughs> they're poisoned or taking damage over time and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, but, but I mean, can't I mean, Fingens has uh, health bars over yes. characters and we enemies, do that. right? Yeah, we do like that too. A rate of change or other effects. People, I mean, people, but it's don't like they're that. bleeding numbers, Mark. <laughs> People also don't, numbers. <laughs> people don't also notice the health bars. The health bars decreasing. Yeah, because yeah. like we have there are per- certain parts. We have a giant boss health bar at the top. Yeah. when a boss shows up, um, there are points when a boss might be invulnerable. People will constantly shoot at the thing, despite the fact that the health bar has not moved, mm-hmm. because they're like, I must be doing damage to this thing, mm-hmm. and we have damage numbers and stuff. So that doesn't solve the problem either way. Uh, <laughs> you got it. You have to. There's uh, there has yeah, to be other yeah. ways to show damage. Okay. I've I've noticed when it says like like resist or zero or yeah that that helps a lot. People mm-hmm. still shoot things even though it says blocked. Right, like well, it's I mean, very clear. We say blocked, and this is block, 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 block. There's block. no cost to shooting things. Yeah, I know. that's. Uh, I think people just enjoy it. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure it's a problem. That's fine. It's not a problem at all. <laughs> I mean, but. everybody shoots those mines that don't. Yeah, and they hear the little popcorn blah, 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 as it yeah. bounces off. Yeah, people still love doing. I know. It. <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally fine with. Yeah. That. <laughs> Uh, so I did want to talk about like there's one big no I think that is is a good use case that kind of or best practice that works in pretty much all situations which is to not over animate UI yeah um, so like uh, Zelda is another I think offender in this where like uh, until recently because mm-hmm. the the new one doesn't have as much of this and that's a, that's basically the main thing about the new Zelda is it's fixed a lot of these problems yeah but like when you get a treasure chest it's like a whole movie <laughs> and like and and that is that is UI and that it's you know it's it's expressing that to you and. Um, uh, a lot of times, animation like animations get really indulgent. There'll yeah. be too many frames, yeah. or uh, it doesn't appreciate how many times the player will end up seeing it over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and map animation is the worst because it will like you go to the map and it's like you know it'll, yeah, it'll like of, fold up the map and open it up for you. Yeah, and it, yeah. it, it that tends to be a problem where it tries to give over to the sort of the world of the of the characters. Mm-hmm. And as much as I am always a big proponent of of that type of cons- that type of thought. Right. Um, this is a case where like it's a player interacting with a computer at this point. It's not like the, the player is not appreciating that, so you shouldn't be forcing them to. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a, a, yeah. There's a lot of games that that really try very hard to show off that stuff. It doesn't go very well. Yeah, that's the reason why I don't like turn based RPGs a lot because like the really big attacks that you just spam because they're the big attacks. Um, they often come with like ten seconds of animation, and you're just sitting there going, Shh. not just any animation, JRPG animation. Oh my goodness, which is like overindulgent. Yeah, so send just, letters my way. So, I, like, so I'm just sitting there for ten seconds, going, "All right, this is just one turn, guys. I still got like twenty more of these going on." So in Pokemon, I yeah. often turn off animation for attacks because oh, it's a thing of you can do. Okay. Cool. Uh, yeah. Yes. Did you know? <laughs> um, T-I-L. Uh, yeah. Um, but just for that reason, because mm-hmm. it's like, oh my God, I'm just grinding, like killing a bunch of Pidgeys. Why? Uh. Yeah. Yeah. I don't need to see the rain coming every time I decide to do rain. Dance. Yeah. 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 I get that. Actually, it's funny that I, I'm going to give you the exception to this. Oh, okay. Which is uh, one of my nicest of 2016, <laughs> Paper Mario uh, Color Splash. Oh, okay. Every time you use a real world object. So in that game you have um, um, 
you have cards which have which do attacks, and they're all the flat objects in the world: a hammer, or, or you know, or a jump, or an enemy, or whatever. Right. But you can also pick up real world objects, like an actual three D modeled stick or a, oh. a lemon wedge. Okay. Uh, or and these are artifacts in the Paper Mario world. These like weird three dimensional objects, and they're lovingly rendered. It's, mm. It uses all the power of the Wii U. <laughs> when you use one of them in battle, it's like a two minute show. Wow. <laughs> I, they are excellent. Okay. <laughs> so that's okay. an example where it uses that. And actually presents itself as a piece of entertainment rather than as a lead up to something else. Mm-hmm. And so, um, again, maybe not all rules are in stone. Yeah. Or maybe I'm just wrong about that. But I love those. I, I mean, they were you, you started with that. Like, there's no like rules to the UI. You just have yeah. to you have to figure that out. Yeah. You find what's what works with your game, and it's tough because you you you're not always the best judge of that. Right. Um, again, play test. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was that was right for that game. I thought. Yeah. For sure. Um, the last thing I wanted to mention before I get into some like examples we've all brought is um, accessibility. Oh yeah. Um, this is something we talk about a lot here at Glitch, and we also lament how little resources we have to address it. Uh-huh. Um, which is things like uh, addressing colorblindness, uh, d- uh, disability, alternate control schemes, uh, things like that that affect UI in a really strong way. Um, uh, uh, text size, uh, col- you know, and color, and it's something that like it's just as a topic. It's it's always worth keeping top of mind. But it's also okay to recognize that you can't you can't totally solve it, with yeah. your, especially if you have a small project. Right. I'm curious what you guys' thoughts are on like is that something you consider? Is, does it feel like it has to be an afterthought because there's so many other things to think about? It's really something you should design for initially mm-hmm. because otherwise it'll feel tacked on and maybe not even solve the problem you're trying yeah. to solve later on. Uh, we, we're going to have this problem in Fingence because. The right now, the only way to tell your ships apart is you have a little cannon that's pretty small and it's not very clear, and then the color. Yeah. So if people are colorblind, and we don't use very distinctive colors, well, sometimes we we do. They're actually fairly distinctive if you're just looking, but like sometimes it's very difficult for players to determine who's who's who at what time. Right. Which and isn't so, ever everyone has that problem. Right. The very busy things on screen, which yeah. is like that's its strength, but sometimes it's hard to recognize. Right. Yeah. And so we're, we're going to have to go back there. Um, and maybe just uh, make each person's ship more unique or make everybody's cannon more distinct on the ship yeah. to make it clear who's who. Um, so it's, it's something you have to, it's something, yeah, I, I, I think about it quite a bit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I know the Joggernauts team thought about this because their game is a lot about color. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, it's multiplayer and you've got uh, four little alien people and you can switch which one is in front and the person in front can uh, get through different colored puzzles. Right. It's a color um, match game yeah. essentially. Yeah. And they I think really early in development ran into someone who was colorblind. I think that's the story. We'll have mm-hmm. to get Zach or people on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh but uh that that they couldn't tell the people apart and so the game was completely unplayable. Yeah. Um and so they started adding things to, to each character to make them unique and also to the to the uh things the environmental puzzles yeah. to make them match. So like one has spikes and every blue thing has it's blue and all the things that are blue also have spikes. So okay. you can tell them apart both by shape and by color. Uh, so rather than make a separate mode or a toggle, yeah. actually just incorporating that into the design of the, of the characters. That's, That's a yeah. really good approach. Yeah. Yeah. I know the, um, there's a game that just came out recently called Hue, which is a um a indie side scroller puzzle game which mm-hmm. I quite like. I pl- downloaded it on Vita for, a, for on the way to GDC and I just love that game. Mm-hmm. And the way it works is you have a color wheel that you uh can choose your color 
and it's like I think the I've only unlocked a certain number of them, but I think there's like eight or twelve, and um, that changes that changes everything in the world that color. And so there are blocks that are if they are that color already, then they will then no longer exist when you toggle that color. So it's it, tons of great puzzles, um, puzzles on uh, wonderful mechanics, but mm-hmm. it's highly dependent on color. Oh yeah, and not just color. There's like three different blues. Oh, so like it's it, it not just like. Uh, Diagnose colorblindness, but like you know, people who have trouble distinguishing, like you know, uh, um, will have difficulty with that game. Yeah. And so um, the way that it's addressed in the game is uh, you just turn on colorblindness mode, and then everything then just has a sort of a symbol attached to it. So all the blue things are hearts, and all the green things are cl- clovers or you okay. know clubs or whatever. Yeah. Um, and that's actually not an uncommon approach. I know uh, Ben Burns, a local developer, is making a game called Color Jumper which has a similar kind of color matching mechanic. And he has a colorblindness mode that he's done a lot of testing, uses the same thing, uses like uh, playing card icons to differentiate the colors. And in fact, I think his game does it a little better than Hugh does. Hugh leaves some elements unadjusted, mm. and so it doesn't make it, it's playable, I think, for a colorblind person, but not, it's not fully adapted. Um, I know Ben has taken a lot, taken that very seriously. Um, and it's something that I got to do with Metro Nexus because I have, a, I have uh, five co- player colors, and all the uh, models are are animated, and there's so much that I can't do uh, hue swapping. Any, I can't do any of that, the sort of normal programmatic solutions. So I'm going to need to add things like symbols uh, to the characters. And I've sort of started implementing something like that already for uh, people who are on the same team that are the same color, which mm. are going to be confused. But I feel like I've got to do way more testing yeah. uh, to do that. But I think I fell into that trap where it was it ended up being something I didn't think about early enough. Right. And I don't know that it's... I don't know if it's going to be super damaging, but it's going to make it more work for me. Right, yeah, exactly. For certain. Yeah, it's hard to get to. Okay, well, let's round out this topic with an example from each of us of a, a good game that has good UI and a good game that has bad UI. They have to be good games? Well, they don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, you know, it, uh, it softens the sting a little bit. Mm. <laughs> I don't want to just, like, rail on nonsense games. because It is game, nice games club. That's true. And bad <laughs> games have bad UI. So, I mean, very often. Yeah. Um, so let's find some exceptions. So, uh, Martha, why don't you go first? Um, the, What's a good example? My good example is The Division. Mm-hmm. And the, the, that's the first thing I noticed about the game and the thing that, well, I didn't play it myself, but I was watching. Um, they made me want to watch the whole thing is the UI. It's mm-hmm. so cool. Yeah. So um, in the story, you're this um, super agent person who... Um, is called to New York City to stop a disease outbreak thing. And you're the super elite person who has like augments that you can uh, like have AR in your light, like mm-hmm. like a heads up display and everything. Yeah. Um, so as you're walking through the world, like everyone is got like little tags above that appear when you get close enough to them. And it's super responsive to where like really really good um environmental uh knowledge of where your character is and how far away you should be for stuff to be interactable Mm -hmm. um and it just feels so immersive like you're it feels exactly right um and i went and talked i went to a talk at gdc from the ui people Mm. and it turns out that um that uh, they all sit together, all the artists and the programmers for the UI system, like they're all there and they all know, like have taught each other about like the artist, ta- the, the programmers about how they did the, like how they're designing and the programmers were teaching them like really 
the artist really in-depth things about like multi-threaded processing yeah, and stuff yeah. like that um, because they're running all the UI on the CPU and so the GPU which is mm -hmm. super fascinating mm. um, just so that they can get like this super res like responsive yeah. thing um, super cool and Dylan had some thoughts on it as well. Ooh, our special reporter. Special reporter. <laughs> reporting in from outside the clubhouse. Yeah. I, love, I love it. So I said, what are your thoughts about the division? And is it as cool to use as it is to look at? And he says, it depends on what part of the UI you're referring to. The presentation was top notch, like the pop-ups on weapons and the overall holographic overlay aesthetic. Um, but navigating the weapon menus was not very intuitive. Mm. And then a few minutes later, he says, actually, I was th trying to think of a better system. And honestly, ch I changed my mind overall. It was quite good. <laughs> <laughs> Division. Awesome UI. Yeah, it, it, I, got, I have to see that talk on the vault because I missed it. Yeah. It's yeah, that, really good. That sounds uh, similar to the one I wanted to bring up. Uh, Horizon Zero Dawn just came out. Yeah. Uh, I didn't play it because Zelda came out like the day after or something. <laughs> so I was like, well. Uh, but it looked really cool. Um, and um, they actually have a really cool story mechanic to it. And it actually makes the player character more powerful than the other characters, which is something that I kind of have an issue with in general. Sure. Uh, in a lot of other games. So, like, uh, spoilers, but this comes up in, like, the first 15 minutes. Um, as a kid, uh, her name is Aloy. Uh, she finds this, this item, and she puts it on her ear, and it allows her to see information about all the robots um, that you have to, like, you can take over and things later on in the game. Mm -hmm. um, and so all of, all of the stuff that she sees, you see as the player. So it makes a lot of sense from a, from a gameplay standpoint and from a story standpoint that you are seeing all of these things and she's seeing all the things you're seeing. Yeah. And because she has access to this item and nobody else does, she, under, or she, is, she has the ability to be better than everyone else because she can see these things. Mm -hmm. So she can get information on like, how much health that this uh, big old uh, dinosaur robot thing has. And stuff like that. And I thought that was really the least cool. excited I've ever heard anyone say dinosaur robot. <laughs> you know, the dinosaur robot. Uh, I guess. Uh, that thing. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's, uh, it was just really cool because like, it, it made sense for the game. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I thought that was excellent. Yeah, I find that that fact is mm -hmm. so valuable that if it makes sense, yeah. like it doesn't have to be fully justified, right? It could mm -hmm. be meta, right? It could be sort of just abstractly related but yeah. it has to totally fit and I think your example too Martha is like especially having the teams work together like that's an incredible like insight I think um, you know I think with small indie teams you have no choice but to work that way but mm -hmm. it's incredible to hear that it's, you know a, an outfit as big as Ubisoft like takes that seriously mm -hmm. um, that cross-disciplinary approach at least between departments and I think that always yields excellent results yeah. Um, and so my example sort of fits with that as well which is Zelda Breath of the Wild because mm -hmm. it's kind of all that I can think about in terms of games that came out recently, like pity poor Mass Effect, it might not get the attention from me. I might have to, <laughs> I might have to put that one off for a while, um, and you know, and just anyway. Uh, but no, Zelda's great because it communicates things through the UI. Um, it, it, it's mechanics, it, it's systems. Because um, one of the one of the things that people will say about this game is, unlike previous Zelda games, which handhold you to death, mm -hmm. this thing just sets you out in the world. Yeah. And so, so much of the game you learn from just like poking around at it. And the UI really uh, helps with that. Not just like prompts you see in the world, but inside the inventory uh, and slate menus, 
you get information that you just start using, and then that applies to how the mechanics work. One of the best examples you cited earlier, Stephen, which is when you're in cold weather, you have this three, you know, this model of, of, of Link inside the, the pause menu when you're choosing your armor, uh, and he's just, he's just standing there, and it's just like, oh, then I can see what it looks like on him. But it's not just that. You can see him shivering or sweating, depending on the environment that he's standing in. Um, and that's really valuable, because then you put on a piece of clothing, and then it changes how he looks. Uh, uh, not just what he's wearing, but also how he reacts to it. And you can do that j- all within the pause menu. And oh, that's, that's so cool. And that's really valuable because mm-hmm. that teaches you that, because that, um, one of the sort of magical things about this game, one of the elegant lies, according to the way the developers describe it, is, oh yeah, you should all go on YouTube and find the, all the GDC talk and the behind the scenes Zelda. They're all fascinating to watch. Yeah. And very open, um, very unlike Nintendo to be so forthright about some yeah. of these things. Um, but um, that teaches you that you can change your clothes, uh, eat uh, uh, inventory items, and do a lot in the pause menu. Not, you don't have to take it out of the pause menu to do that. Mm-hmm. And that is something that doesn't make logical sense in the world, but it makes mechanical gameplay sense. And th- the UI teaches you how that works without the game telling you, oh, by the way, if you are low on hearts and you're in the middle of falling off a rock, you can pause and eat three apples and you won't die when you hit the ground. Yeah. It doesn't tell you that. It wants you to discover that. Mm-hmm. And so the, one of the main mechanics of Zelda Breath of the Wild is discovery, is learning these systems. And the UI really contributes to that. And that's one thing I've been just considerably impressed with. Um, but on top of that, I love the look of it. It's, it's, it's fairly minimal, um, particularly like um, in the HUD, mm-hmm. is really clean and very unlike most fantasy games, which are just loaded with like twisted bronze and dripping spiky things yeah. that are just like random art on the screen. I really like that clean UI, which is one of the reasons I love the, the, the at least the, the design of the UI in uh, Assassin's Creed because it's so simple and clean mm-hmm. and it even fits with its medieval worlds like despite being very modern. Um, it has other UX problems, of course. <laughs> but Zelda does that too, very clean, very simple. One of the first things that got me excited about that when they were posting screenshots years ago was, oh man, that arrow uh, reticule UI, I'm in. Like that, <laughs> that was enough to like guarantee the purchase from me. Yeah. Uh, I mean, thankfully, it's a great game too, but like just that alone uh, was super exciting. So that's my great example. I mean, I love that game and so much about it, um, but that's one of the best things about it, frankly. Mm-hmm. Okay, now it's time to turn the tables. What game, good hopefully or at least prominent, um, is, doesn't do it right. What, uh, what slips on the banana peel? Steven? Um, I have to say this regrettingly because I love this game. <laughs> it is probably my favorite game. <laughs> but Super Smash Bros. for Wii U has really crappy menu <laughs> system. It's, I, the, the regular gameplay UI is really good, and, and it's nice. It gets out of your way and all this stuff, but mm-hmm. you got all the information you need from that. But like, if you just look at the main menu here, it's just so ugh. okay. So there's a big old half of the screen is taken up by the smash icon, which is kind of cool because that's the main thing you're going to be doing because it's smash. Uh-huh. But like if you wanted to say play classic mode or play single player mode, you'd have to go into this games and more button. And then you have to go in there and find where classic mode is and that. And then it's, ugh. and there's like, uh, like a fourth, a fourth of the menu is dedicated to smash tour, which if you've played smash tour, you know, you're not going to play that much. <laughs> It's <laughs> Steven has his hands on his hips right now. I mean, <laughs> come on, come on. Oh, this just yeah is you have to go diving into the menu system to find any like look if you wanted to find the options you had to go into games and more mm-hmm. and then find the options. It's it doesn't make sense. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. You know, I would say that even the HUD as someone who's not a huge Smash fan, yeah, even the HUD makes no sense. Like 
I, uh, one, the percentage based battle thing, like mm-hmm. it, it works. It makes yeah. sense. And yeah. when you learn it, you know it. So yeah. it's not, that's not my problem. My problem is, is I'm fighting this guy with 126%. I hit him three times and he didn't die. Like what I don't, the, the UI, um, and the game mechanics are all, they're all sound and yeah. they do make sense. Yeah. But the UI tells you something that's not true about it. Well, they, that's, that's what it always feels like to me as a casual player. Sure. I, they, I, and I, I would agree with you. Uh, mm-hmm. They've kind of improved that a lot in, in Smash 4, okay. where like when um, you're about to, you hit somebody with what is very likely to be a finishing blow, mm-hmm. um, there'll be like lightning sparks, and you'll, it'll be clear that, oh, this dude's probably about to die unless he has good DI and stuff. Um, <laughs> you know, fancy Smash terms. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so um, it's, it's more clear in the okay, new ones. Okay, okay. But yeah, that is, a, that is an issue. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But really, though, this menu, guys, seriously, it's, it's really bad. <laughs> it's really bad. <laughs> And they didn't and even in Brawl, uh, Super Smash Bros. Brawl, they had that issue too. And the menu was it was a little it was better. Yeah. But like this one is just ugh. and the 3DS version isn't any better either. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry, man. Well, hopefully the one coming for Switch eventually will be a lot cleaner. Which they've hinted at. <laughs> yeah. Uh, will be better. That would be that would be hopeful. This time the logo takes up 75% of the screen. <laughs> <laughs> More of what you want. <laughs> All right, Martha, who have you uh, taken to bring to task? GTA 5. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> Why? So you have your cell phone, which uh-huh. has a whole bunch of stuff. Uh-huh. You have the start menu. You have the D-pad menu. You have the Rockstar social whatever menu. Mm-hmm. Okay. Both the Rockstar social menu and the pause, like start. Pa- is there a pause menu too? And the start menu wow. have social things on them. And like one of them you go to if you want to go with your friends. Mm-hmm. But then you have to be signed in to this other thing. And then like there's no rhyme or reason for like, oh, I want to call the mechanic. You'd think that'd be in your phone. Well, I think maybe it is in your phone. See, I can't even remember where anything <laughs> is. Every single time I'm playing that game, I'm like, Dylan. Where do I find blank? And he's like, D-pad menu. I was like, okay, <laughs> Dylan, where do you find blank? <laughs> and so I spent like, if I was a person walking by someone trying to do their menu in real life, mm-hmm. like they'd just be sp- spending five minutes like looking at their phone and then like <laughs> looking all around and look just like a crazy person. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I do remember I played the single player mode of that and I, re- I regretted it for many reasons, but like one of them is just like, I fumbled around with that stuff a lot and I, I kind of, I didn't put a lot of tr- faith in it, so I was I was disappointed at first, and then it just became like a fact of life. But uh, but yeah, looking back, like that kind of really ruined that game in a lot of ways. Like that sound, that game sounds like an MMO. I haven't played it, but it sounds like an MMO. It sounds like there's 50 bajillion menus, and you have to remember which button opens what menu, and oh, that just sounds horrid. It, it's awful. <laughs> the game is amazing. I love that game. Well, I hate, I hate the single player. I haven't played it, but the multiplayer, mm-hmm. so fun, so yeah. much fun. Menu is not fun. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I bet there's more nonsense in the multiplayer because there's more you do and customization and yada yada. I know that like in that game, there's so much. Uh, it's not quite diegetic, but when you go to a certain part in the world, like to fix your car or, or go to a shop, the interface is unique to that area, and so it every like the auto body like UI is different from other selectable purchasable yes. like, store UI. And it just it, it it's this weird effort to make it make sense, but it ends up just confusing the player. Uh, and and that's that's my memory of it anyway. Yes, jeez, it's not very intuitive. Yeah, 
Well, I guess no, very people who play that game care, I think. Because <laughs> it has enough redeeming, like, chaos-causing uh, it's qualities. Tr- it's destructive people. Right. Love this game. <laughs> okay, I got my topic now, which, big twist, guys. End of the show uh, reveal. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, Zelda Breath of the Wild. <laughs> my, my pick. Yeah, I have a bunch of very specific gripes about it, partly because I hold it to such a high standard now. Sounds like Mark. Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> So okay, one so th- not really a twist at all. <laughs> <sighs> Here I go. All right. So uh, like I said, I love the the minimalist look. I love the sort of clean UI of it in the the HUD especially. But in the final game, it ends up not going all the way with this. Hmm. The, on the upper left of the screen, you have the sort of what the what your D pad options are. Yeah. And the heart uh, uh, indicator is from long ago, but just the, the simplicity of it. They've never given it more. Like they never like flourished it with like three D effects and stuff. That's always right. been great. It's very flat and clean. Um, and I like that a lot of it is just white. Like that's really neat. Very thin lines and all that. But then there's a little indicator near the map, which is um, shows how loud you're being. So as you walk, it's a little like waveform that oh, wiggles. Yep. And that's like bright purple for some reason. Mm-hmm. And then the temperature gauge is really tiny, and it looks like a uh, analog dial that moves left and right between um, hot and cold. And uh, it's orange for hot, blue for cold, and it has yeah. an it has an F in the middle of it, like Fahrenheit. Even though it's just a di- like it's just a it, all you need to see is it hot or cold. You don't need it doesn't actually tell you what the oh, it does tell you the temperature in the menu. In, oh, it does on yeah. the map. Okay, that's another thing. <laughs> and so that is there's too much colors in that, and that F makes no sense. And so I was end I ended up being kind of disappointed with like they didn't go all the way. And so but you got you got to set that thing to pro mode. That's I, I, su- I suppose I do because yeah. then I can just keep this stuff. I'm like I'm like what are you describing? Oh, I have yeah. I'm in pro mode. And actually, there's one I thought <laughs> I, I wrote this down because you were mentioning how you like that it doesn't do it's a, a lot of the um a lot of the information it gives you is within the world. Yeah, except for when your weapon breaks. Oh, your weapon will break in a huge shower of sparks uh, yeah. once it, it's uh, lost its durability. Yep. But every time you get a little piece of text which also says. Your this broke. Your yeah. your traveler's broadsword uh, broke. It does do exclamation that. point. I that had to be a result of playtesting. Yeah, when I'm people sure. Were like, what was that explosion? Like, I don't know what. Why don't? Why am I holding my sword anymore? And so maybe that's better for gameplay. But like, they could have done that better. I agree. Um, that's another little, little thing. What else have I got? Um, so I've been playing with the pro controller, um, which is a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, playing with the Joy Cons is great too. That's the way you play, Steven, yep, right? Yep. But I did notice that when you um, it, uh, it has the, the D-pad is, is on screen as the four buttons on the Joy, Joy-Con. Because in the Joy-Con, um, you just have four buttons for up, down, left, and right. It's not a D-pad. Yeah. Um, and that shows you what you can access by holding down those things. When you are using a Pro Controller, the system knows you're using a Pro Controller, but that UI doesn't change. Mm. So it still looks like four buttons. Okay. And, so, and they're really tiny. So again, just little things yeah. that like, they could have... Fixed. Um, yeah, I get that. The other one that's, that why I particularly hate is maybe it's more UX than UI, but it, it does fall in the category is when um, you know you have limited uh, inventory slots. Mm-hmm. If you open a treasure chest, it tells you you got a, a sword, right? But if you don't have space to hold the sword, it, instead of giving it to you, the chest closes, oh, yeah. and then a little on-screen thing that says your inventory is full. That is the worst feeling in when, that game. Whenever I swear. that happens, yeah. the first thing I do is hit plus because that brings me to the inventory screen, right? But nothing happens because I have to hit A to dismiss your inventory is full message. Then I can hit plus. Oh. Uh, I have, I've been playing this game for probably 40, 50 hours. Mm-hmm. Every single time. Wow. I still press plus. Like, why don't, oh, right. Click, click. Yeah. Then, of course, then what you have to do is you have to pick a weapon, 
either drop it from mm-hmm. the menu mm-hmm. or equip it and then throw it. Yeah. And then you can open the thing up again. Yeah. And then because you haven't collected it yet, you get the, the message again. This is the sword. Mm-hmm. Then you put it in your pocket. Yeah. Or whatever. Or you just throw it away and then pick up the thing you just dropped. Right, right. And that's, <laughs> that's the thing. It, in, the, in the shrines, yeah. when uh, collecting all the treasures in the shrines is, is a completion goal. Mm-hmm. I don't even care what's in the treasures. But if you don't, if you, if tre- treasure chest open, it's a sword you already have. Yep. Your inventory is full. Yep. So you don't want it anyway. Yep. Treasure chest closes. Okay, fine. I, I can just walk away. No, I have to open and collect that item or else I don't get credit for finding the treasure chest. So these are all <laughs> mechanics and like UX problems, but yeah. like the UI actually is a huge contributor to this, I mm-hmm. think, because of the way that it like interacts with that. And that like bothers me quite a bit. It is the worst feeling when you have that happen to you because like you'll, you have your inventory full and then you open your thing and you're like, oh, please don't give me a sword. I'm full on swords. Please don't give yeah. me a sword. Give me an opal. Give me an opal. Yeah, right. And then it gives you a sword and you're like, oh, crap. And then you have to sit there and watch as the treasure chest closes. <laughs> it's like, it's not even that long, but it's like, oh, because you just have to sit there and watch. And I'm like, yeah. oh, crap, I really want to go in my inventory. But you have to wait like three seconds before you get to Right, because the message pops up, and that does take a amount of time. Yeah. And the game actually helpfully, in most cases, um, per, it, uh, it leaves dialogue and dismissible text on for long enough that you don't accidentally sm- like, uh, rapidly click through it. Yep. Because it knows that players will just smash A, but then suddenly they... So, yeah. So in that case, it's bad because you just want to get rid of that notification. Yeah, yeah. But it does; it will stay on screen for at least two seconds, yeah. and then then you can dismiss it if you remember to hit the right button to do so, yeah. which I never do. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's all UI problems. And and the way what it does not communicate anything to the player because when it says your inventory is full, it does not say anything further about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, really, other games have handled this well. Your inventory is full. Pick something to drop. Yeah. Right. Take you right to that. Yeah. There's no. Re- there's really no reason why this game shouldn't have that. In fact, many of the things I like about the way the game works. Uh, are very conducive to that solution. Mm-hmm. So I'm very surprised that they, they, they didn't implement that in particular because yeah. it's terribly irritating. Yeah. Um, but the other example of that, we have to sort of wander through the UI in a way that's destructive. And I've complained to you about this, Steven. I don't think you feel the same way. <laughs> is cooking. Mm. Where, like, in co- uh, I, you saw me do this. <laughs> well, no, I, I, I kind of agree with you. With, with oh, okay. One, but. So if you want to cook something, you have to go into the inventory menu, select an item, then you get a little modal drop down that says eat or hold. Mm-hmm. And you can hold. You can hold up to five items. Then you exit the menu, and then your link is then holding these items. And this is very useful for if you want to drop some wood and flint on the ground and strike it and start a fire. Yeah. Perfect system. No problem. Yep. If you want to cook something, you need to hold those items and then walk it over to a, a, you know, a, a, a pot or a, a stove or whatever. Yeah. And then place it in there. Um, but you don't actually place it in there. Once you get close, it gets a prompt that says cook. Mm-hmm. So that actually saves you a button. You don't have to place it and then cook. Yeah. But the problem is, is that doesn't make any sense. Why don't you just walk up to the thing, press cook, and then it goes into your inventory to pick the things you want to cook. Yeah. Because what I've done is I've tried to cook like a couple of monster parts and butterflies, mm-hmm. and I accidentally didn't wasn't pointing directly at the the stove, and so I draw. I just set them on the ground. The butterflies flew away. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, oh no. <laughs> and these are all problems that are not gameplay related. Yeah. They're just which buttons you press when. Yeah, a lot of those I can agree with. Yeah, and like the the Sheikah slate is um it's in the pl- in the minus menu. Mm-hmm. It contains the map and your camera roll. Right? Yeah. It's like a smartphone smart device. Yeah. All the things on the slate go on the slate menu. Fine. But if I was on the photo roll. And then I leave the slate, and then I walk across the the Hyrule, mm-hmm. and then I want to go to the map. I press minus, and it's and, stuck and, oh, on it's, the photo. It's still mode. on the photo mode. Yep. There's no button to bring up the map. Yeah. The button brings up the Sheikah slate, yeah. which has those different. So that's a little like it's a story concession, but it feels I I, I do that one by accident all the time. Mm-hmm, me too. It drives me crazy. Yeah. 
high standards is the problem. <laughs> I have with this game. I'm going to cut out half of this because a lot of it's just whining. But like, sorry. Right. <laughs> but it's like it, it really uh, leans to like yeah. when you do well, your players expect you to do to continue to do well. Right. And so like it's it's a really it's a huge challenge. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And like as I mean, I, it's really important to me and to my game, and I'm nervous i'm doing it wrong mm. i'm always nervous i'm doing it wrong yeah and uh, like i said play testing really helps it does <laughs> it sounds like i've scared you martha oh <laughs> um you gotta play yeah. zelda though it's really great i know i want i want to <laughs> gotta save it for a switch yeah that gdc money <laughs> <laughs> that's our show if you haven't already subscribe to nice games club in your favorite podcast app and be sure to give it a good review if you liked it or are nice like us, especially if you're a new listener to the show. We need to know you're out there. So leave us a review and tell all your friends too. Uh, also, make sure you get uh, on that feedback form. Yes, yes, please do. Nicegames.club slash feedback. We super want to hear from you. Uh, we also hear directly from you, either through the feedback form or you can follow us on Twitter and all the other things at Nice Games Club. Let us know how we're doing. Send us your topics. Ask us your questions. Lastly, you can find out more about the show and your nice host, as well as all the links and notes from this and other episodes at nicegames.club. So, until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. Check the. We're gonna edit all of this funny bits out. Edit, edit, edit. Mark, edit. <laughs> <laughs> or one of us. Yeah. I like the little things you add at the end of the episodes. Now. Oh yeah, I'm, those are nice. I'm, I'm starting to find those. those yeah. are pretty good. <laughs> Reward anyone who wants to hear the whole song. <laughs> As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.